Welcome to the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast brought to you by Break of Day Capital. The show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Randy Langenderfer. Randy is president of Invest Arc Properties and has been in multifamily since 2014, both as a general partner and KP in 700 doors and as a limited partner in over 4,000 doors. Randy has a bachelor's degree in accounting, information systems, an MBA in finance, and is a CPA. Welcome, Randy. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Thanks, Gary. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Um, Randy Langender for Houston, Texas, uh, as you said. And so today, I think uh, I'm like a lot of people, I'm focused on um, identifying, acquiring, and managing multifamily properties, uh, probably 100 doors and above, uh, working with several uh, venture partners, uh, co-GPs, uh, JVs to, to do a lot of those deals. Uh, I'm still currently employed, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, as a full-time employee here in a large academic medical institution in the Houston area, and I still enjoy that. So I do that because I can, and uh, I enjoy doing both for the time being. And I'm a, I'm a husband uh, and a father of four as well. My wife says that you never talk about your family on these things. So I got to get that in there and stay good with the wife. There you go. Nice. Busy man. Yeah. But you know, when you, like you said, when you enjoy what you're doing, it's not work. work. Well, today we're going to talk about your first time as a, as a general partner. Maybe tell us um, how you found the deal and how you put together the team. Because I know on that first deal, you definitely get some no's in there. Some people that, um, you know, are, are not necessarily interested in, in, in joining or they, you know, they look at the deal and they're, they're always looking for excuses. That's great. You get the deal done. That's the most important thing. So tell us a little bit about that. So my first deal as a GP was um, in 2019 in the lovely city of Beaumont, Texas. And for your listeners, uh, Beaumont, Texas, about 120 miles just due east of um, Houston on, on Interstate 10 between Lake Charles, Louisiana, and Houston, and it, it's a it's a good sized community, 200, 250,000 people, and a uh, lot of uh, energy there, energy and people, a lot of petrochemical people that rent apartments, either construction or as employees. But uh, we, like many people, I was in a large uh, educational group. And really interested in doing my first deal, and so got connected with a couple guys through that through that organization. And uh, this deal was a broker deal, 
it was in Beaumont, but the broker was out of San Antonio, which is 100, 200 miles west the other way of Houston. And he was he was just barely uh, incompetent. We we literally chased this deal, Gary, for a year before we got it because the broker wouldn't return phone calls and he wasn't doing anything. Uh, wouldn't give us information and come to find out he was in the process of changing brokerage firms and he was really trying to keep his fee. So he was slowing it down. It was out of state owners that were selling it and needed to just, they weren't in, in a hurry to do it. And so uh, it was only after he changed firms. And then we, we actually went directly to the owner. We made contact with, and I'd advise your listeners not to do that. Uh, because sellers don't really like that, especially the brokers. But this guy was so incompetent. We went to the seller themselves and we basically paid him the fee. He got his fee in the end, but we really communicated with the seller directly. And the seller was out of Ohio, a group out of Ohio, able to find their uh, contact information and, and just made touch with them. And, and once we did that, the information sharing kicked off, kicked off an awful lot. So uh, we, we closed in... Um, I think December of 19, uh, no, 18, December of 18, excuse me. We closed in December of 18. And after literally chasing this for a year. And so persistence pays off. Persistence pays off. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that kudos to you. Like you win deals because you, you move by speed or persistence and you stick with a deal because sometimes it falls out, sometimes... It, the process gets screwed up somehow, some way. And we had a deal. We were in a best and final and it fell apart because the seller didn't know their, um, their prepayment penalty. Um, and, and so we assumed the loan, we got a million dollar discount and that is going, we'll, we'll more than, um, you know, wow. triple, you know, three X the returns, you know, where we recently put it on the, on the market. So, Stuff like you know, stuff like that, persistence, like you said, and um, um, you know, being aggressive gets gets you gets you deals. So, so you bought this property, you finally bought it, and then you had some issues along the way. There was a there was a fire, I understand. And what yeah. what happened there? So, just one other piece I should have given the audience. So, this is a classic uh, 1965 build, 139 doors, uh, flat roofs on a chiller boiler property. And so if any of your listeners um, come across the chiller boiler property, turn the other way and, and, and do not proceed as, as I was advised by a mentor in this deal, but I was so determined to do a deal that we went ahead and bought it. And so we, we uh, closed on it December of 18. I said 139 units. Uh, we start, we, we, we maintain the existing property management company because they had been there forever and a lot of long-standing tenants. I mean, 10, 15, 20 years that had been on the property. We retained them and I'm sitting in my office on a, um, I think it was a Tuesday afternoon. And I remember vividly this, getting a call from the property manager. It says, Randy, the building's on fire. I'm like, you're kidding, aren't you? No, the building's on fire. Turn on the news and you'll see it on the news tonight. And it really was the local news from Beaumont, you know, was out there on the streets in front of it. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. And so, you know, that that really began it all in terms of just digging in. And uh, I've had people tell me that if you do multifamily long enough, you're going to have either a crime or murder or, or a fire on your property. 
I didn't think it was going to be two months or less. And so, uh, but yeah, that was, that's the backdrop. on it. So then what, what happened next? You know, how, how many units, yeah. how did the process go getting it fixed, working with the property management company? I knew there was some, some turnover there. So talk, talk about that. Sure. So 139 units, as I said, 28 of them were taken out one, one building, uh, and one of the nine buildings on the, on the premises was taken out. Uh, you know, smoke inhalation. It didn't. It didn't destroy the whole building, but it destroyed the roof for a majority of it because it started in a second floor unit, and basically everybody in the building had to be evacuated. And so that there was there's the first thing, right? And you really learn uh, a lot in times of crisis of people's character and stuff. And, and to the uh, we had had um, uh, people on site that were helping others get evict evict get out of the building, you know, knocking on doors. Hey, there's a fire. Get out of here. So thank goodness, Gary. Thank goodness. Nobody was injured. Nobody was harmed in the fire. Only property loss. And that alone is uh, what you really pause and take solace in that nobody was injured. And then the, then the attention turns to how do we take care of these tenants? And so we learned an amazing thing, too, that uh, the American Red Cross will come out and help in that time of crisis. And so for that night and for a couple of nights, uh, you contact American Red Cross if it ever happens to you, and they'll come out. They actually offered vouchers to put all the tenants up in a hotel for a couple of nights. Now, you know, as as landlords, we're not required to do that. We're not required to put them up in any like, temporary living area like that. But the American Red Cross will for a couple of days. And so I think that was the real focus is, one, just to make sure nobody's injured. Two, to get people temporary housing and, and to get them uh, out. And then once they get the temporary housing, right, they want to come back the next day and they want to clean out their apartment. They, they forgot the dog, or they took the animals, but, you know, their dresses or their clothes or whatever. So, you know, it's making, by then it's, by then, you know, you got the tape around the building because it's a fire scene and the fire inspector's got to come out and inspect it. So you can't let people back in and stuff until after they clear it. So the next phase is uh, that with the fire department making sure that you know they got to determine the basis of, of the fire what was it was it a faulty building uh wiring uh turned out it was they turned out to be a another another note to file for future references a barbecue grill on, on, a, on a patio and uh don't know if it was tipped over or fell over or what but uh, that was the cause of the fire and so uh, there's a lesson for the future too. Like I said, it's no, no grills uh, on your on properties in the future. Uh, so once we get to tenants taken care of, I guess the other lesson learned for me was, was really then, then it was a communicating with investors. You know, how do you, how do you tell your investors this happened? And you know, I'm not saying a positive spin on it, but I think the, the venue I took was I tried to reach out and verbally or call all the investors I had in the deal and tell them rather than sending them an email, trying to make it personal, you know, one, the investment's still safe. The fundamentals are still there. We have insurance. Your ass, your, your investment is protected and we're going to get through this. And that was, that was the other second major message point there. And then, you know, after, after you get the tenants safe and after you, um, talk to your investors and reassure them everything's going to be okay or that we're, we're on it, uh, then it's starting to the rebuild. And so then it's, then it's getting insurance involved, telling your lender, make sure your lender knows you had a fire and, and just so you're in good standing with the, uh, the, the lender and starting to get 
assessment and bids and how long can it take and so it was that took i don't know weeks weeks and we had uh loss of income insurance uh, but what i didn't know at the time that i've subsequently learned right is that doesn't kick in right away uh, most first time syndicators think i got loss of income insurance and they'll pay me you know march's rent in march no you have to get the property entirely rebuilt lease it back up before they'll give you cash for that at least this vendor did at least i don't know if you have a different experience carrie but so those are those are some of the starting points for me uh let me just take a pause there any questions i can i can answer yeah you know um no this is great and then so while you're doing this process what about the res you know american red cross sets them up for a few days what happens after that yeah so you basically you know obviously we're, we're, as I said, as landlords, we're not responsible for that in the event of fire. So they have to find their own place. Now we, we tried to give them through the American Red Cross and some other, um, some other properties that we knew of in the area, some pointing to some people, but they're, they're really, the, the basis of it is, is they got to find their own. We can't, we can't do that for them, nor are, nor are we going to pay for it. The other major takeaway in this though, is in your leasing parameters is to make sure that all of your tenants have rental insurance because there is really the short answer. Your, your tenants should all have rental insurance and that protects them in this very situation. So if there is a fire on the premises or their goods or their personal property is damaged, destroyed, uh, that they're protected. And you got to make sure that it's, it doesn't expire. Because it does, it, at times it does expire. So then you're really in trouble. Yeah. And the other one is, is you want that because like, uh, you know, if they run into the building in their personal car, their, their, their renter's insurance will help cover. So it's not just their car insurance or something else. They damage the property somehow. So, yeah, yeah. but that should be part of your lease renewal, right? Every year is a check off the, uh, the leasing agent should validate. They still have renter's insurance right. required. And um, I know during this process, you also had some issues with the with the property manager, correct? Yeah, it was. This was. A, this was. A, you look back at this now, and it was. You know, it's funny now, but it certainly wasn't funny at the time. So yeah, we when we bought the property in December of eighteen, we had retained the property management firm, as I indicated, and they were, they were uh, had owned another property that my partners were involved with in the local market in Beaumont, Texas, kicking butt and taking prisoners on it. They had a super rock star leasing person or on-site manager that was just doing everything right. Uh, tenant relationship, collecting rents, raising rents. Well, we come to find out after we'd taken this, well, we knew it during due diligence, but we wanted to give her the fact that the, the on-site had really been there about 25 years on-site. She was, uh, I'm going to guess, a mid-50s, maybe a 60-year-old woman who had, who had been here the entire time and really uh raised her family there she knew all the, the other tenants and called them by name and knew their families and etc just a real person but what she did is she, her problem was she just had a real problem in telling tenants that the leases were going up that they were raising we we're raising rents and so we made the decision uh, shortly after the fire probably in late march early april that we we needed to change the on-site we wanted to retain and give the property management company itself the opportunity to continue, but we, we, we wanted to train out, uh, the, the, the onsite property manager. And at that time, 
you know, with the construction and uh, we, we became very involved in the property as owners, more involved than traditionally owners are. So we, we helped review and interview the on-site property managers because we were waffling if we were going to remove both the on-site and the property management company, but we decided to just get, change the on-site property management. So we were very involved. We ended up hiring a, a young woman who was uh, from, a, she had a commercial real estate background. She didn't have any multifamily background. And so we were willing, and in Beaumont, Texas, there's not a big market for uh, multifamily leasing agents and property managers. So uh, we hired her and she, it, it was a good move, but we, we found out that she had very little support from the property management company itself. And it was, it, was, it, it just continued to get worse. And so the, the property management company, in an attempt to get things right with us, the owners brought in this consultant and the consultant uh, ended up making it even worse with personality conflicts between the construction company and the, the on-site, the new on-site. So long short of it, we ended up, uh, we let that ride for a couple of months. And we ended up having to remove the entire property management company as well. We maintained the on-site, but we got rid of the property management company because they just didn't have any support for the on-site. And it, and it was really then, Gary, when you realize when we got a new property management company in there that did have support for the on-site, had training, had protocols, had manuals, uh, had, had tools. Uh, you know, she was taking checks to the bank, the on-site was. And that's, you know, there's easier ways to do that, as you know, by faxing stuff, scanning uh, checks in, moving to electronics. But anyhow, you just, it's not till after you've had a bad property manager, I always say, do you know what a good one looks like and how they, how they really react? Absolutely. And, and a lot of times, if a person's nice, you give them a chance, you give them, you know, you hold you know, you go over, you know, your expectations and you, and and you, you give them too long of a leash because you you want to give someone a best chance to succeed. And then afterwards, you're like, man, I should have done this like ages ago and not, not waited. And oh, my God. <laughs> what, what All the things I missed and should have done earlier. Yeah, exactly. So we were probably 10 months into it, nine months into it before we actually pulled that trigger on the property management company. And uh, I mean, the, the one we replaced it with, we, you know, there's another one. So what do you do? Uh, yeah, luckily, it's, it's commutable for us. But we started talking to a lot of different other owners in that submarket that we had known, who they used, what they liked, disliked, started interviewing property management companies, settled on one out of Houston here that had a big presence in Beaumont and uh, had al already a big, so they could leverage personnel, maintenance, uh, et cetera, et cetera, support for this new onsite. And, uh, and again, in that time period, we were going through the rebuild of the fire at that time. So, you know, I, I, I teased that uh, as we were debating to get rid of the property management company, we and I, uh, representing the ownership team, became very detailed oriented because we were going to, we, failure was not an option. So we were going to make sure this was successful. So we became extremely involved. Uh, I was probably working 10 to 15 hours a week on, you know, leasing rental, leasing rates, maintenance requests, and finding vendors and paying vendors and helping get inspections. And I mean, it was, I, 
I joked that I got my honorary PhD in, in property management on my, on my first deal. And I never want to do it again, I can tell you that. <laughs> but it was a great learning experience uh, as a newbie uh, in the syndication. And also the kind of the do's and don'ts from, from property management. Well, I, you know, I admire your, you know, how you communicated to investors and you, and you got hands on, like there's, like you said, there was, um, you had to get it done. There's no, no excuses. And at the end of the day, I understand you guys did very well, correct? Yeah. The, the good news is, uh, the good news is we, we were bought it right. So the, at the end of the day, we sold it 21 months later and we two X our investors money. So at the end of the day, again, it was a great learning curve and we, we did well, uh, but I never want to repeat that experience. <laughs> That's why we hire property management companies. Well, good property management companies. Yeah. Good property. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's the key there. Good right. property management. So, you, you know, if you're talking to a newbie and, you know, they're looking to do their first deal, what are like the, the two to three biggest takeaways you have from this, from this uh, lesson? Yeah. So the, the first one is I really will not, even entertain as an LP or a GP today, a chiller boiler system. Uh, we could go on and after we changed property management companies, then the chiller started to go bad and we had all kinds of potentially uh, go, I'm sorry, the, the boiler went bad and in, in the middle of winter when it started getting cold, boiler goes out, you know, and if the boiler goes out in 139 units, all 139 units go out. It's not just one or two. Uh, so I really will not do a chiller boiler. Second one is just, uh, property management's expertise in that marketplace. And so also it was, it was key to us not only to be in Beaumont, but there's a lot of new construction. So we wanted to make sure they had BC experience in the Beaumont submarket. I mean, you'll find somebody that's doing, you know, property management for 5,000 and 10,000 units across America or something, but, but what are they really doing in that local market? And so we found that to be probably one of our big keys because that property management could leverage, like I said, maintenance people and um, sending people over to our property from their other properties to fill in for unit turns and stuff like that. So no chiller boilers, um, property management experience in the local submarket and in your, in your class of asset. This question I ask all of my um, my guests: What is your asset management superpower? Wow, uh, I'm not sure I have a superpower, but I would say that my superpower, if I had one, is really just persistence and a doggedness and attention to detail. Maybe that's more than one, but uh, I think as an asset manager and you, and you're overlooking the property management. You, you really have to be detailed oriented. You have to stay on top of them there. I mean, in my day job, we talk about managing vendors and at the end of the day, that's what they are. They're a vendor for your ownership team. So set up KPIs, uh, establish weekly reporting, weekly phone calls, make sure that uh, you're just on top of them and that they, they're doing what they say they're going to do. And if they don't, as you said earlier, don't be afraid to pull the trigger and change. Nice, nice. I, uh, Randy, I really appreciate you coming on the show and and honestly sharing your your you know a, di a difficult uh, first uh, GP situation, but you know you you obviously navigated the uh, the rough waters really well and came out you know fantastic. Um, so kudos to you. 
Um, where can listeners find out more about, about you? Oh, thanks, Gary. The, I mean, the easiest way to get hold of me is go to my, my webpage, um, invest-arc, that's A-R-K, invest-arc.com. And there's a contact us page there. I'd love to chat with, uh, with any of your listeners about anything uh, multifamily. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website, breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.